Welcome, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Renegade Joint Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Burgess, professional real estate investor, permaculture, urban farmer, curmudgeon, skeptic, and Keller Williams agent. What is Renegade Joint Investors? RDI is a local real estate investment and business group that meets monthly at various locations throughout Metro Detroit. This group's about networking, doing deals. Saying your grandma's real, folks. No guru bullshit from the front. No smell of stale coffee, been gay, and or disappointment. You know exactly what I'm talking about. RDI is also this podcast where several times a week we have shows, many different shows. On Tuesdays, we have Flip This Podcast with Steve Londell. On Wednesdays, we have the Renegade Trade Investor Podcast where I sit down with the guests and interview them and tell C stories and all that stuff. On Thursdays, we have Story Time with Tommy Desmond where we talk about real estate stories and drink whiskey at locations. And on Fridays, we have the book review. Right now, we're going through the conversion code, and that's what this is. And then we also record the RDI meeting and the Borland Group meeting. Lots of content. I also have some new stuff coming up. Uh, we also have the monthly meeting, too, so don't ever miss that. Um, and if you enjoy and like this podcast, hook a brother up. We've been stuck at 50 reviews on iTunes for a long time now. So if you haven't already, stop, pause, go rate and review. It's a free podcast, man. It really does help. Unfortunately, in the iTunes world, which is what dominates the podcast world. They don't give you a lot of information. So one of the only ways I know I can grow the podcast where I know people are listening is by rating and reviewing. So please go and do that. Uh, for everybody sharing the podcast, thank you. A ton of you are doing that. Keep doing it. For those I don't see when you share, I apologize when I miss it. I really do appreciate it. Uh, if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, go to renegadedroit.com. If you're interested in the, in the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash Renegade Detroit Investors or facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. You can hit me up on Twitter at Jeremy Burgess. Uh, that's also my Instagram, and I'm on Snapchat at Jeremy A. Burgess. And, of course, you go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit Wholesalers. All right, legal disclaimer. Don't blame me, man. Don't blame me. All the fucking snowflakes. In no way, shape, or form should anything that I or my guests say be taken as legal and or investment advice. We highly recommend that before you make any investment decision or decisions, you contact a lawyer and or other licensed professionals. Be an adult. Don't sue me. All right. Time for the Renegade Detroit Investors Show Quote of the Week, where I pick a quote that sets a tone for the podcast and hopefully at least your day, but also your week. And this is from The Conversion Code. Authenticity is important. People want to connect, not feel marketed to when they accept your Facebook friend request. Believe it or not, your day-to-day -day life should be the number one source of inspiration for content and update on Facebook. What are you doing that's interesting? That's by Chris Smith. That's his approach to creating leads on Facebook. You know who you are. All you guys, all your caps, all you do is post the same shit all the time or your postcard. You never add anything to any conversation. You know how many times you pay attention to people like that. All right. And this week, we're at part two. We are reading The Conversion Code by Chris Smith. So pick up your book. This is a read-along, not an audio book, right? So I expect you to read along. We're going to read along and study at the same time. So... This week, or last week, we finished on page 36, I believe. Yes, so now we're starting on page 37, which is chapter 4. And uh, some of this is a little bit more difficult. It's a little drier. Um, it's very technical, but I'm getting a lot of value at it, uh, out of it. 
And I think you are too, I hope anyway. So we're going to go and start on page 37. Make sure you get your highlighter ready. Don't just highlight the parts I highlight. Highlight the parts that stand out to you too, right? When I do my uh, review at the end of my study and I type everything up, it's not just, uh, it's just my notes, right? You might have different stuff. So do your own thing. All right, you ready? Chapter four, page 37, advanced Facebook marketing and advertising techniques that generate ready to buy leads. A key component of the conversion code is social media, which I most often refer to as Facebook plus everything else. Facebook has become our home screen of the internet. In August 2015, Mark Zuckerberg announced that 1 billion people use Facebook in the same day. Think about that for a second. One in seven people on earth were all on the same website in the same 24-hour period. And findings published by Parsley July 2015 marked the first time that Facebook sent more traffic to news sites than Google. Per Fortune, the company's clients include more than 400 major news and media outlets, including traditional publishers such as Wired, The Atlantic, uh, Reuters or Routers or whatever you say it, The Daily Telegraph, as well as a large group of digital-only outlets such as Mashable, The Next Web, and The Business Insider. Of all the powerful statistics that Facebook one about Facebook one could gather, this one really is a Gladwell-esque tipping point. Why? We are not only addicted to the content created by our friends and family so much that we look at Facebook more than we look at each other in the face. We already knew that. But we also turn to our network as a filter of other friends and companies' content. This isn't about me trusting my friends from high school more than I trust Google. It's about me trusting that my network at large has already found so many interesting things without me having to search that I start on Facebook, not Google. I start with trust. I find, I like that. I start with trust. I do the same thing too, right? I, if I, I'm looking at referral, I go on to, uh, I go on to Facebook. I go to the Metro Detroit real estate, uh, real estate investor group run by Tom and Aaron. And I, uh, put post question in there back to the book. I start with trust. Find is the new search and you can have amazing ads interwoven into the fabric of established trust and addiction. My six-year-old daughter tells me to look it up on Facebook or post that on Instagram all the time. She has never asked me to Google something or to pull up a website. Google, pay-per-click, SEO, and other social networks matter. It's just that Facebook matters most. But despite this overwhelming evidence, it is being greatly underutilized as a purposeful, consistent, and quality lead generation source. How underutilized? As of February 2015, there were only 2 million advertisers on Facebook. 2 billion users, 2 million advertisers. When you go deeper into the number of advertisers that are doing it right, there's certainly even less competition. So in this chapter of the Conversion Code, I will teach you how to leverage the new internet, Facebook, to capture leads every single day. I'm going to start with the things you can do today for free on Facebook to generate leads. Facebook profile pro tips. Even if you never run a Facebook ad, never start a Facebook page, or never admin a Facebook group, all of which I will teach ahead, at a minimum, you should be able to generate leads from your Facebook profile. Authenticity is important. People want to connect, not feel marketed to when they accept your Facebook friend request. Believe it or not, your day-to-day life should be the number one source of inspiration for content and updates on Facebook. What are you doing that's interesting? Right now, 
you are reading the awesome book about converting leads as an example. Take a picture of that book and share it on Facebook right now with the hashtag, the conversion code. Hey, you see what he's doing there? I like that. I'm going to highlight that whole. There we go. The best Facebook marketers are the ones who are willing to share genuine moments of their lives, the good and the bad. When it comes to Facebook profiles, lurkers lose. Consistency matters. You need to either you need to be either semi interested daily or really interesting weekly at a minimum. You can't expect to hop on Facebook once a month and share what's happening in your life and get any traction or business from it. You need to first start by understanding exactly what and why Facebook puts in their users' news feeds. Each morning when you wake up and check Facebook, it's not an accident what appears on your screen. Similar to Google's infamous page rank formula, Facebook also uses a highly complex algorithm referred to as edge rank to determine what gets seen and what doesn't. If you want your status updates to be interacted with, clicked on, and ultimately send you leads, it is critical that you get seen. The algorithm around why users see what seems to apply pretty equally to what and how you share things on profiles and pages. Here are the top four reasons why we see what we see on our Facebook news feeds. Number one, how popular are the posts you've made in the past? If your past posts typically get likes and comments, Facebook will give you the benefit of the doubt on your new posts. Number two, how popular is the post with the people who have seen it? Think of this as Facebook doing a quick test of your post with a small group of your friends. Based on those initial interactions with it, Facebook either shows the post more or less often to other users. Three, how popular are your posts within that specific with that specific person? The one-to-one relationships you build on Facebook are important. Beyond just how popular your average posts are, Facebook also looks at the micro level of how popular your posts are with each of your friends individually. What type of post does each particular user like the most? I personally click on a lot of links, so Facebook makes sure I get lots of links and articles in my newsfeed. If you're a person who likes and checks in or likes checks ins or pictures more, you'll see more check ins and photo posts. Sorry, that was an awkward sentence. I'll take another run at that, I think, but let me highlight this here. So, uh, the question I get all the time is, uh, hey, just go ahead and add me on Facebook, right? I'll say, go ahead and add me on Facebook. I'm meeting with somebody. I made a meeting at the Boiling Group meeting. I'm at the RDI meeting. Go ahead and add me on Facebook, and I'll get at least 25% of people. You know, I don't do the social media thing which always amazes me. It's like owning a business 25 years ago and saying, I don't want to be in the yellow pages. Well, you know, that social media is just for the kids. No, no, it's not. That's actually the new yellow pages. Shut the fuck up. Get on Facebook. Back to the book. Or let me take, let me take a run at that last sentence again. If you're a person who likes checks in check ins or pictures more, you'll see more check in and photo posts. Based on these findings, here's my advice for reaching a broad audience. Post highly interesting shit and vary your post types. The segments of your audience have different browsing habits and tendencies. So you should share some posts with pictures, some with videos, some with links, and so forth. While you may prefer links or videos, what your friends prefer is also heavily weighted as to what they will be shown. Bottom line, be interesting, be consistent, and be diverse with what you post. I think there's some room for improvement for me there too, right? 
Where can you find great content for sharing using your Facebook profile? Outside of your personal and professional life, there are some great additional ways to find things that are shareworthy on Facebook. Oddly enough, my number one place to find things to share with my community on Facebook is Twitter. Taking your time and building a Twitter list of reporters, media outlets, and bloggers can really pay you back day after day. It might take you some time to build the list, once it's, but once it's up, you can check it all day, every day for things that your Facebook friends probably haven't seen yet. Twitter moves much faster than Facebook, so often you can be breaking news from Twitter to Facebook and be the first one sharing it. I like that idea. I fucking personally hate Twitter. But that's probably like trying to drink out of a fire hose. It's best description of Twitter. Back to the book. Even if you do not use Twitter, what I am really doing here is waking up, reading what I love, and then sharing things I read with those who also love it. This could also this could be the morning paper or my favorite blog, not just a Twitter list. The point is you're already consuming content every day. Just turn the corner and start sharing it too. Three other great sources for finding interesting shareable content for your Facebook profile are Buzz, Sumo, Upworthy, and Viral Nova. In short, you don't have to create content to be great on Facebook. Curation can work as well. The key is to be consistent. If you post eight or nine highly engaging and interesting items you curated, then you post one you created. The posts you shared that were curated assist how many people will see your original content. And obviously, I, I create a ton of original content. So I probably need to share more so then more people will see my content. Timing and frequency that get the maximum impact for your Facebook posts. Beyond diversifying the content you share, the timing and frequency of your sharing can also have a dramatic impact on metrics like reach and engagement. Set up a blog today published an infographic entitled The Science of Posting on Social Media which provided best practices around frequency and timing for all the most popular social networks. Here's what they found to be the best for Facebook. I put best in quotes because there are no universal truths here. The reality is that the person who is right now the most likely to buy from you could be checking Facebook at 3 a.m. and willing to click on only posts with videos, regardless of the anomalies that will occur. The following advice is spot on. Posting once a week is not enough, but posting more then once a day is semi-annoying, citing 2011 Social Baker's study. Best time to post for getting click-throughs is 1 to 4 p.m. This makes sense. We got enough some work done at lunch. We can now check Facebook more deeply. Wednesday at 3 p.m., hump day anybody, was a peak time combo. Worst time to post for click-through was on the weekends before 8 a.m. and after 8 p.m. And I've done lots of testing on this stuff, too. Back to the book. Social media is not that different than regular media in the ways that people check in. There are segments on Facebook that are morning people. These people probably watch the morning news. There are those on Facebook who are night owls. Those people probably watch the evening news. One semi-scientific way I found to calculate your peak time for posting is to keep an eye on the number of your friends that are currently available on live chat. Take note of the days and times when that number is at its highest and its lowest. This should be a solid indicator as to when most people in your network would see an update. Thanks, Krish. I appreciate that. There's a lot of power in using someone's name when interacting on Facebook and social media in general, yet very few people do it. When you address someone and use their name, it feels more personal. 
It may be a small thing, but that's an important part of the lesson. All these small things add up to one big thing. That's interesting. We use people's names when addressing them almost everywhere, but we don't on social media. We do it on letters and emails and on the phone, but rarely do we say when commenting on Facebook, looks like you're having a blast on vacation, Steve. Compare that to looks like you guys are having a blast on vacation and you can immediately feel the difference. Another small thing I do that shows people I'm listening to them and that I care is to like or reply back with a comment on every comment someone leaves on my posts. If they leave an in-depth, well-thought-out comment, I reply in the same vein. If they leave a quick comment, I at least hit like button, let them know I read it. Facebook is like tennis. It's pretty boring when only one person is playing. HBD equals WTF. Have you ever had someone take the time to write HBD on your wall for your birthday? Wow, thanks. You spent all three characters on me. When someone does that to me, three more characters come to mind. What the fuck? Or WTF. (laughs) While Facebook makes it easy to write on someone's wall for their birthday, think outside the box. Hundreds of other people are likely doing exactly the same thing. When I see that it is someone's birthday on Facebook, I usually mail them a handwritten note. I love using bond.co for these. I always include my cell phone and email address below my signature. Time and time again, I get a thank you message immediately upon hitting their mailbox. I have even seen people post a picture of the card I mailed them. Get more comments right now. I'm going to show you a magic trick. Update your update your Facebook status right now. Ask your friends how many states have you lived in. There's a good chance that by the time you finish this chapter, your post will have more comments than any than you've ever made. Not likes, comments, which weigh more heavily into how Facebook determines what to show next. The reason? That post is something that I call built for social. It's something anyone can answer in one second with two buttons, their answer and post. When you use social media to ask why, it can take deep thought. More thought than most people will give in our microwave mentality, eight-second eight second attention span world. When you ask when or who or how many, it takes a lot less brain power to respond. Best of all, when you ask simple, easy-to-answer questions, you're going to learn interesting things about your network. Zillow does a great job of this with their Facebook business page. Every week, they run a post called Taste Test Tuesday. They put two homes side-by-side in the image. The homes are listed at the same price. All they do is ask which one of these two you'd rather have. Countless comments come pouring in. A or B, yes or no, how many not hard questions to answer. On Facebook, the calls to action that work are the ones that play well within their established ecosystem. The 3-3 Facebook time blocking technique. You need to block time off each day, at least Monday through Friday, to make authentic but scalable connections on Facebook. I call it the 3-3 technique, and it could be a game changer for your business. The timing of these messages is not as critical as the timing of the status update, but before we dive in, let me make it very clear that the 3-3 technique works much better if the person is currently logged onto Facebook. The easiest way to know is that when you look at your Facebook chat tool. What's the 3-3 technique? Like I said before, lurkers lose. So log into Facebook with an active mentality and a plan. The 3-3 technique consists of doing these two things without fail. 
write on three of your Facebook friends' walls each day. Most people use Facebook only as a one-to-many tool. I use Facebook as a one-to-one tool. That many can still luckily see. When you write on somebody's wall, they get alerted instantly. They don't when you simply update your status. These are your colleagues, classmates, friends, and family, so it shouldn't be too hard to drop by and make three people each day feel special. I will often leave a link to an article I know they will love, or sometimes I just pop up and write, hope you are well, let's catch up soon. Try it right now. I guarantee you will get some conversations going today. I would try it right now, but my phone melts, so it's hiding over my bag <laughs> on silence. So I can't hear it, and I can actually make it through the podcast. Start three fa- uh, three private Facebook chats each day. Again, just updating your status is not enough. People open and read their Facebook messages at even higher clip than they read their actual email. If you are not using Facebook's inbox, you are really missing out. I will usually make the private messages a little bit more about business without being spammy. I usually just send someone, hey, I am working on a big project for work. Can I pick your brain? Use these messages to get on your phone with your network. There are about 260 weekdays in a year with the 3-3 technique. Even though you are reaching only six people per workday over the course of one year, you will have sent 15 or 1,560 one-to-one messages. I cannot convey how important this is to growing your network, generating inbound leads, getting referrals, and crushing it on Facebook. People are sharing. Here's one clever way to show you care. Another great strategy is going above and beyond using Facebook profiles, Alex Wang strategy. Alex is a real estate agent in Palo Alto, and he knows that many of his colleagues and network colleagues and network share on Facebook. And when they are on vacation, usually uploading dozens of photos and albums of the trip. Alex usually does something special for them while they are on vacation. How can you make their experience better? Instead of, hey, it's been a year since we worked together. How have you been? Upgrade their travel experience, send wine to their room if they like wine. Or maybe you can check out the highest rated restaurants nearby where they're staying on Yelp and send them a gift card. Bottom line, as Paul Graham, founder of Y Combinator, once famously said, and what Alex Wang is executing, do things that don't scale. I try and do that a lot. I try and spend... Uh, at least it's really hard. I try and do three a week, but it ends up being more like one a week where I reach out and I try and help somebody do something. If I think I can help them. And if I can't help them, I try and uh, find a referral to get them to help, um, try and help them. So that's kind of like the pay it forward, add lots of value kind of thing. All right, back to the book, rebumping old posts. I'm sure at one point you have commented on someone's post only to be bombarded with notifications that others were doing the same. Facebook notifications can be very powerful when used to your advantage. One thing you can do right now to stir up some instant engagement is go back to your old popular posts and rebump them. Basically, you add you add another comment like, I was rereading all these nice comments today and it made me smile. This will cause Facebook to immediately notify some of those who had previously liked or commented on the post. Even if the post is several years old, this seems to hold true. Facebook actually makes this easy with their on this day feature, which highlights your most engaging posts from the past. One clever tactic is to create a blog post related to those super popular posts after the fact. Then you can go back 
to the lengthy thread and say, y'all inspired me to dig deeper on this topic, so I just published an article link. I like that. I do not do that. I need to do that more. So one thing you do right now, comments are king. Even if you do not update your status each day, inevitably your network is updating theirs. One simple best practice for getting your edge rank up and increasing your Facebook presence is to live in the comments. Comment on 25 people's posts per day. I use a Facebook list called Most Valuable Connections. By taking the time to set them up on one list, I can see what they are sharing. Huh, that's an interesting idea. My Most Valuable Connections list. Uh, by taking the time to set up set them all up on one list, I can see what they are sharing, which makes commenting much easier and quicker to do. How do you determine who your MVCs are? Ask yourself this question. Of your Facebook connections, who are the 25% who matter the most to your business? Put them on their own list and check it like crazy. But don't just lurk. Leave comments. Live in the comments. You should be commenting on other people's Facebook posts 10 to 100 times more often then you're updating your status. Hmm. I could probably use a little improvement on that. I don't think I leave enough comments. Also, with the way email notifications and default settings work, commenting across all social media platforms is much more likely to trigger a message being sent to them rather than something liking their posts will. Facebook groups. Facebook groups are probably the most underutilized tool on Facebook. I have been an admin of groups with 20,000 plus members for years now and is a consistent driver of traffic, leads, and sales. You have to think bigger than just a Facebook profile and page, which I will cover ahead. You need to also build a Facebook group around an idea, not around your brand. Our Facebook groups are called Tech Support Group for Real Estate Agents and What Should I Spend My Money On? These topics are related to what will sell, but what is a purposeful decision not to start the Chris Smith Curator Fan Club? Don't get me wrong. We do also use secret Facebook groups for our paid client-only mastermind. But by having these bigger groups that they are that are help-focused, we get traffic leads and sales from Facebook groups while most companies are only using groups for support and service. I sincerely recommend that you ask yourself the following question before starting a Facebook group. Will this group be relevant five years from now? And will I want to wake up every day and post to it? That's a great question. I'm going to read that again. Will this group be relevant five years from now? And will I want to wake up every day and post to it? We felt that agents would still need tech support and still have questions about their spending five years from now. And we know that we will still love love technology and helping people. So we did it. A good example of how a focus group can take off is to look at nextdoor.com, a social network for neighborhoods. People connecting with other people on a local level. It's focused on the specific well-defined community. You should go to nextdoor.com for your niche using a Facebook group. Instead, go knock on doors and make flyers slash mailers as invitations to join the group. A good example of how a focus group can take off is a look at nextdoor.com, a social network for neighborhoods. 
people connecting with other people on a local level. It's focused on specific, well-defined community. You should be the nextdoor.com for your niche using Facebook group instead. Go knock on doors, make flyers and mailers as invitations to join the group. If you are a national brand, follow our lead and be the go-to resource for help on Facebook. The sales will follow. Gary Vaynerchuk calls it the thank you economy. The more times you give someone on Facebook a reason to say thanks, the more likely they are to share your stuff, buy from you down the road, or even refer people to you. You think that would be obvious? I mean, I, I like helping people already, so I try and use it to my advantage, right? But even if you're a cynical person, there's a good reason to help people. They're more likely to help you. You can't be the only one posting in your group, but you also can't expect it to take off right away. Find folks who will contribute and be ambassadors early on. The more contributors you have, the more your group will spread in a grassroots way. Plus, groups need strong admins and group guidelines so they do not get overrun with spam and self-promotion by others. We all know when that happens, right? When done right, it becomes a culture. It becomes bigger than you, so make it special. As an example, we have a custom header image stating our group's purpose, rules, and admins. These small touches can lead to big growth. There are plenty of little things that you can do to make your Facebook group take off. Change the URL of your group. You do this by changing the email address of your group. I'd even recommend buying a unique non-Facebook URL for the group and then have it forward to the group page. As an example, warrengroup.com is much better for mailers, business cards, and just saying out loud versus having to say, go to facebook.com group forward slash seven four seven two five four eight. That's a damn good. Yeah. I'm going to highlight that. A quick pro tip is that anytime you're using facebook.com URL in your marketing, you can actually use FB. Com. You can see it in an action right now by visiting fb.com forward slash curator Chris, which will open up my Facebook page. Feel free to like it while you are there and write on my wall. Let me know you just read this. Sometimes the full URL with Facebook spelled out in your custom ending can be too long for print or make or to make look nice when designing collateral when designing collateral. You will also need to decide upon between an open, closed, or secret group. Those choices are pretty straightforward. Open groups can be seen and read by users who haven't joined. Closed can't. Secret you can't find. Open groups grow the fastest but attract the most spam and can keep people from truly telling all. Closed groups allow for more candid conversations but grow slowly because non-members cannot see the threads without joining. Secret groups I keep super small and focused like our curator client only mastermind where all we do is talk shop. How do you find people to join your group? Use Facebook search to find popular well-run groups your friends are already in and target groups with similar interests. As an example, you could search for what groups is Mark Zuckerberg in. If during this search, you end up finding groups that are already doing what you're, you're wanting to do, get active in those. Provide value. You don't have to start your own group. I have seen countless members of my groups begin to also get business and referrals by being helpful consistently. That's so true. You don't have to. I think you can see if you go to uh, the Metro Detroit Real Estate Investors Group, um, it's also a meeting. 
people, there's plenty of helpful people in there. And I know they get business by being helpful. I've got business by being helpful in there, right? It's not my group. Either way, you whether you start your own group or join and contribute to others, you should be part of the groups around your passion and purpose. This will keep you engaged over time. Facebook pages. The most common question I get from business owners is, what's best for drumming up business on Facebook, profile, or pages? The answer is yes. They all work great if you work them. Conversations lead to appointments and referrals. Appointments and referrals lead to sales. Conversations create conversions. Facebook creates conversations. Here is the number one reason you 100% must have a Facebook page to crack the conversion code. You cannot run Facebook ads without the without a Facebook page. And what you will learn in he- ahead about setting up a Facebook ad funnel is not an optional part of the code. Often people overlook the design of their Facebook page. Pimp your page out. Make it look amazing. Your profile pic that you choose for your page will be in all the ads you run. So choose wisely. Your cover pic should be spectacular and updated regularly. Your bio and information tab should be filled out thoroughly. Think of your Facebook page as your backup website. Obsess about every detail during the setup and optimization phases. Most of the best practices for posting I mentioned earlier regarding your profile also apply to pages, but your fans and your friends will likely have different tastes. I'm going to go back and read this part. The answer is yes. The first question, the most common question I get from business owners It's what's best for drumming up business on Facebook, profiles or pages? And the answer to both is yes. Tools like SumoRank, Like Analyzer, and Facebook Insights are great for quickly seeing how your page has been performing, plus what it can do better and how it ranks against others in your industry. My favorite thing about these tools is they work for any Facebook page, not just yours. This is a great way to see what your competition is up to that is working well. I also highly recommend that if you're going to be running a Facebook page, you learn the parts of the Facebook insights that can help you tremendously. I use insights for two primary reasons. First, I use the page to watch to watch feature to spy on my competition as well as other pages I admire that are nicely run to see how we are comparing to them. Setting this up only takes a minute, and once it's done, you can see what is shown in figure 4.2 at any time. The second way I use insights is to find out which of my posts work the best. The goal of the conversion code is to drive traffic to a place where I can capture their information. So with that in mind, I am mostly looking for the posts that got the most post clicks. You can sort every post you have ever done by reach or engagement. See figure 4.3. There's a bunch of pictures here. Just a read along, folks, right? I also like to look at the micro level from each post that did well to see what elements may have contributed to that. As you start to identify the best posts with the most clicks, post more updates like those moving forward. For posts that you boost with an ad, you can see this data in Ads Manager or Power Editor. More on both below. Both insights is where you can see, but insights is where you can see every post, ad or not. When you are in Facebook Insights, you can pull up any post. It will give you detailed analysis of the posts. You figure four point four. 
Facebook ads. Over the last seven years, I have run and managed millions of dollars in Facebook advertising spend. Two things I know as fact based on this experience. Number one, Facebook ads get a lot better once the company went public. Number two, Facebook cares enough about their users that they came up with ways to help advertisers reach them in the most relevant, effective ways possible. I think that's the exciting thing about Facebook. Facebook ads are so powerful, they can quickly make a good business great and a great business excellent. Technology is an accelerator of greatness. When I started using Facebook ads, I was already the number one salesperson in my channel at Move Incorporated. I didn't need more leads or sales, but I was great at what I did offline. So when I transferred my knowledge to the web using a Facebook page, Facebook ads, a WordPress blog, a YouTube channel to start, my new audience liked what I had to say in the same ways that my local audience had. If the only thing that you do after reading this book is build a Facebook ad funnel for your business, it alone can produce enough leads to keep nearly any sales team busy and will increase your sales. Remember, Facebook is the new internet. It is too. I get a ton of business off Facebook. I've grown this podcast primarily off Facebook. Don't go into Facebook ads looking to supplement what you're doing online. Go into it with the mindset that it can become your number one channel for traffic, leads, and sales. Anything less is a user error. I'm giving you the exact blueprint. What Facebook ads can't do, they can't make a bad business good. And if you're an established business, you probably won't triple your sales overnight. So think big, but also be realistic. This is mostly due to the fact that Facebook ads can't close a lead. They can only get hot get you hot leads consistently. Facebook ads simply put the ball on the tee. It's up to the batter, the salesperson, to hit the ball. That is why the entire third section of the conversion code is dedicated on how to close a lead over the phone. Zuck ain't doing that for you. <laughs> it's always closing over the phone is always going to be a skill. Before we get into the strategies and tactics required to fill your funnel, it is important to note the differences between Google and Facebook ads. Google is in the business of demand fulfillment. Their users showed intent by keying in certain phrases, and Google can, Google can display your ad at this very critical moment. Certainly, this makes sense and has proven to be effective as a lead generation channel for those who got it right. However, the reason the conversion code relies more on Facebook ads then Google ads is simple. Demand generation is greater than demand fulfillment. For the first time, a website besides Google has so much scale, time on site, and engagement that you can have your ad in front of your customer before they even perform a Google search. Imagine taking a quick look at Google Trends and learning about the search traffic for a certain phrase like Fourth or July 4th fireworks. You'd be unsurprised to see that this traffic spikes on the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd of July. Why not go on the Facebook and place an ad in everyone's news feed on July 29th and 30th with the same message linked to the blog post with the answer? How many people would you stop from ever? How many people would you stop from ever even searching? So that's the good news. You can now create demand without buying traditional media, which means any business can play the game. The bad news is that with Facebook ads, you need to be much more creative and strategic than you've ever been with the search engine marketing or pay-per-click. This is largely due to the visual nature of Facebook ads. 
With Google pay-per-click, it's all about nailing the search terms, copy, and where you send the click. Clever copywriting and optimized landing pages matter with Facebook ads too, but the biggest difference is how much more image-centric Facebook ads are than Google. Sure, you can use Google's display network to put banner ads all over the internet, but Facebook news feeds ads are much more native in design and relevant when targeted and deployed properly. Don't have a huge budget, but have huge ambitions? Facebook ads are blank, are a blank cheap canvas for you to paint on. Facebook ads can produce champagne results on a bare budget, especially if you ever dabbled in the costly world of traditional advertising. Real estate agents and lawyers have tried to portray themselves as being larger than life for years. They often did this by purchasing big billboards or bus benches. Facebook ads are the new billboard and every nice thing. And the nice thing is that this billboard is seen by only the perfect people, not by every car that drives down the interstate. That's interesting. Also saves you a shit ton of money. And you don't even have to pay for the billboard being seen. You only pay when someone you identified as a perfect client clicks on your billboard. Ahead, I will cover the essentials of great Facebook ads, the four types of Facebook ads every business should run, and how to target your ideal customer. The essentials of running a great Facebook ad. No matter what kind of Facebook ad you decide to run, no matter who you decide to target, whether you use Power Editor, as Manager, or a boosted post, no matter your methodology, there are critical essentials to every Facebook ad you will run. Image is everything. Canon cameras and Andre Agassi got it right. What would it look like if the only thing your Facebook ad had was the image? Do you notice text when you're scrolling through your newsfeed on your phone? Probably not nearly at the clip that you see the images. Start every Facebook ad with a killer image. And then work backwards. When you create a Facebook ad, try creating it with the mentality that the image in the ad is the entire ad. The meme generation, right? I have found that images or custom design ad pieces with white negative space and bright colors mixed in perform great. In fact, the brighter the colors or image, the better the results. Dark, dull images get terrible click-through rates compared to bright, bold images. While analyzing some internal data at Curator, I discovered that campaigns we manage featuring professional photos of homes produced a three times higher uh, click-through rate versus using amateur or cell phone phones. Remember, hey, real estate agents, remember to use that when you're sitting down on listing appointments too, right? That's an interesting little fact right there. When I say image is everything, there's another image that everyone forgets about. Your Facebook page profile picture is in nearly every ad you will run. Make sure it looks great in the newsfeed. Sometimes you can't just cram your existing logo into the profile picture. You need an icon version of your logo, like what your company's mobile app icon would look like. We reduce curator to just a C on all of our social media profiles. Extras and text over the image. 
Once you nail your ad image, next is adding some text and or extras to the image. By extras, I mean things like borders, ribbons, buttons, arrows, or even logos. Uh, remember, keep the additions bright. Gold, green, red, orange, blue, and purple make great colors that really pop when sitting on top of Facebook's white interface. I use PicMonkey to quickly add extras, overlays, and text to my image. Interesting. PicMonkey. Regarding the text you can add, there is a little bad news. You can't have more than 20% of the image covered by text. That rule is the bane of my existence sometimes, but I understand why Facebook enforces it. If they didn't, people would just use their business cards or screenshots of their website as their ads. Only they would put huge words over it like buy now or on sale, which would really hurt the user experience of the platform, making it feel awfully spammy very quickly. What this rule encourages is that instead of trying to squeeze your entire message into text, the text should instead complement the image and extras. I like that approach. So your picture needs to complement, or the words need to complement your picture and vice versa. Facebook actually has a handy tool for checking the ratio of text to image before you post. Believe it or not, all the things I just covered are only to get the person to stop and read our ad copy. Not everyone will read the words in your post, which with a well-crafted image, many will click without reading. But the people who will buy from you will most likely read every word you write. If you're spending less than five minutes on the copy of a Facebook ad, you're not a professional marketer. Sure, Facebook makes it easy to launch and deploy ads, but good things come to those who wait. My dad used to tell me to think before I speak. His advice applies to Facebook ads. Consider that it may end up costing you thousands of dollars to get your ads in front of and clicked by the right people. So you'll want to spend a little time crafting your message. I literally spend hours talking about the copy for Facebook ads with my team. Run your copy by someone. Double check your commas and spelling and make sure there's not an extra space and so forth. Obsess about what you write because, because seriously, they're going to read it. That's interesting. I didn't realize that the, the people who are going to buy from you are, are very likely to read every word you write. When you write amazing copy, it can also help filter and qualify the leads for you. This can save you a ton of time and money. As an example, if I were a great, if I were a real estate agent running an ad that said, check your home's value today, it would get a lot of clicks and leads. If I ran a comparable ad that, that read selling your home soon, check your home values today, I would get even fewer leads, but they'd be closer to transacting. At Curator, our services are not inexpensive, but most people who hear about what we do want to buy it. So instead of plastering our pricing to keep anyone who can't afford us away, which is a terrible idea at our price point, to give your price before you give your value, we use copy like exclusively for top producing salespeople and teams. This both attracts the right people and repels the wrong ones all without pissing anybody off. Specific calls to action. Believe it or not, people like to be told what to do. In fact, they need your guidance. Even if your CTA is as simple as click here to download, click here to watch this, CTA is call to action, 
or click here to learn more, it is critical that you tell the person reading it exactly what the next step is. If you don't have a strong call to action in your ads, you are wasting your money and asking the people and asking the people taking the time to read them to do nothing. I do have a hard time with the way this man writes. I think it's personal. I apologize. As the Facebook lexicon has become part of our everyday vocabulary, a new set of calls to action have also emerged. Asking people to like, leave a comment, or share this post, or tag someone below can be a very effective social media-specific calls to action. Because I know how to use Facebook ads so effectively, the events that hire me to speak often ask if I can help them spread the word. When I am going to an area where I do not have a large following, I will ask in the ad for people I do know to tag anyone they know who may be interested in attending in a comment. Like clockwork, a handful of local people see the ad and tag their friends from their local network, bringing more awareness to my gig and with the added bonus of a trusted recommendation from a friend. Mobile optimized ads. If you want an endless supply of clicks, leads, and sales from Facebook, you will need to make sure your ads are being displayed and optimized for mobile, not just desktop. Facebook and the world in general has hit a tipping point where the phone has become the web. Often images or add-ons or calls to action that look and work great on large screen are illegible on a phone. There will be times where the images and, and ads you design will work for both audiences, but there will also be times where you actually need to create two separate sets of ad creatives. There are certain Facebook ad campaigns where I usually remove all mobile ads and target only desktop users, especially when I am driving them to a more in-depth capture form or landing page. Ads Manager will show what your ads look like on desktop versus mobile, I don't do a full registration landing page form on ads I run only on mobile. When I build landing pages, I know will be used on mobile. I just focus on getting an email and or phone only. If a prospective lead has to scroll on their mobile device to complete a landing page form, there's a good chance that will stop them from doing it. Just ask yourself whether you'd fill that out. If you were in line at Starbucks, check Facebook and then clicked on a post. If there are 10 fields to complete, Probably not. So use light registration when possible on mobile ad campaigns and landing pages. That's true. I've done that before, right? Haven't you? I'm like, oh, shit, who's got time for that? This best practice applies to Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram ads, too. If you want to go from a tweet to a lead, you aren't, you aren't going to get them to spend five minutes filling stuff out when they just came from a 140-character universe. I'll have more advice for you about Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, and other networks in the next chapter, beginning on page 65. A link to a proven mousetrap. By optimizing your website and landing pages the way I taught you earlier, grabbing a link for your Facebook ad that will capture leads will be a one-second process. This is why compelling lead magnets, well-designed landing pages, and lead generation optimized website slash blog are so important. Virtually every Facebook ad that we run will focus on getting clicks. These clicks cost money, so you need to be sure that a certain percentage of the clicks will indeed become a lead. What's nice is once you have your links established, you can change everything about a Facebook ad but still link to the same place 
as a previous ad. At Curator, our sales page does a great job at converting qualified leads. That means my job as a marketer is to get people there regularly, and there's more than one way to skin the cat. When I come up with a new Facebook ad, I often link to an old landing page. So I can create separate Facebook ads for the various things we do, but drive them all to our sales page. In a perfect world, each ad would get a new landing page, but that's not always necessary. Instead of always building new landing pages, spend as much time or more coming up with new and creative Facebook ads to get people there. That's interesting. It is much easier to develop and launch a new Facebook ad campaign than it is to build and launch a new landing page. The perfect Facebook ad funnel. The conversion code is built on my C cubed formula of capturing leads, creating appointments and closing sales. Facebook ads are another part of the code where C cubed is used. In the case of Facebook ads, though, C-Cube stands for constant marketing, conversion marketing, or sorry, content marketing, conversion marketing, closing marketing. Once you identify what you'll be linking to and which of the three buckets each ad falls into, these three C's start to create a perfect Facebook ad funnel. Then you will also identify the three audiences to target with your ads. Top layer, content marketing. The Facebook ads that will get the most clicks and engagement will be your content marketing ads. These should link to quality blog posts, videos, or podcasts, anything that entices a ton of clicks and that someone can access without registering. Our goal with these ads is not necessarily to capture leads. Instead, we're trying to get anyone with a pulse that might buy from us eventually to visit our site so we can start to build trust and gain brand recognition with them by providing value. This also lets you pixel track them so you can show them more conversion and closing focus Facebook ads through retargeting. Second layer conversion marketing. This is some complex shit, man. I don't know how you guys are doing. How are you hanging in there? It's difficult to read too, man. I'm struggling a little bit today. If your business doesn't have enough leads right now, or at least a steady flow of leads each day, you can skip layer one and start with layer two. Your conversion marketing ads will be where you get the highest volume of leads coming in. These ads should link to your lead magnets and landing pages. This layer is where things like offering a guide, ebook, or video to download can work nicely. All of your Facebook conversion marketing ads should link to an offer slash capture page. Bottom layer closing marketing. Remember, this is a Facebook ad funnel and all the ads work cohesively. Closing marketing Facebook ads simply account for people moving through the funnel. Closing marketing should be focused on getting your leads to read customer reviews, sign up for a group webinar, schedule a time to speak with sales, call now to learn more, or get a discount by acting now. Your conversion marketing layer consists of all the content you have that lets people know what the next steps are in working together. The goal and progression of the C-Cubed Facebook ad funnel are simple. Step one, use content marketing to create traffic, awareness, and tracking pixels that trigger more ads. Step two, use conversion marketing to better identify who will put their toe in the water 
by registering and becoming a lead. Step three, use closing marketing as an attempt to make a sale. So there's, there, there's, that's, I'm going to highlight this. That's probably the only thing we need to highlight in the whole chapter, right? Kind of put it all together for us to see how we do it, why we do it, what we do it. A perfect funnel has all three types of ads, but just having the C cubed ads in place is not enough. Now you need to know exactly who to target and who not to target with your Facebook ads by establishing your three core Facebook ad audiences. The three core Facebook ad audiences. You need to create strategic custom audiences to show your Facebook ads to. Facebook allows for some of the best ad targeting options of all time for marketers, including location, age, education, interests, income, wealth, household composition, and much more. While the possibilities are truly endless when you're cooking up your targeting and recipes, Make sure at a minimum you develop the following three ad audiences. The magic million. This one is simple. Who has a pulse and might buy from you or refer you someone who might buy? Although you may not end up with exactly a million people in this audience, I call it that. So you will remember that this audience should be large as in 100,000, 300,000 or even 100 or 1 million plus people targeted. The goal is lots of people, but factoring in that they could do a paying customer at some point. A few simple Magic Million audience examples might be a handful of zip codes you work in or to target by several large employers, Nike plus Boeing plus Ford or city plus age plus state plus age plus education level. Just make sure not to get too picky here. We need this audience to be large. I also find that targeting your magic million by using Facebook's interest option can be impactful. As an example, I have an ad audience saved so I can target people who are interested in Inman News and the three most popular sales coaches in real estate. Just those four interests produce an audience size of over 220,000. While I do not specifically compete with Inman News and media company or the coaches training companies, I do know that their audiences is the audience I want to sell my sales and marketing solutions to as well. Remember, Facebook gives you a tracking pixel that you can install in less than one minute on your website. When somebody from your Magic Million visits a content marketing article, even though you may not require them to register, the next few times they log on to Facebook, they will start seeing your conversion marketing ads that does drive them to a capture page. The idea is that you want to build awareness and trust with your magic million before you ask them for their information or start showing them more conversion and closing ad focused campaigns. That's interesting. So he, he actually puts time in and create trust. The chunky middle, number two. Anyone from the magic million who clicks on content marketing ads gets automatically added to what I call the chunky middle. This happens dynamically thanks to our Facebook tracking pixel being installed on our website. But a chunky middle audience also needs to include anyone who likes your page, your entire email list, and your dream audience. You want to target this audience with both your content and conversion-centric ads. As opposed to the higher level targeting we use to create the magic million, the dream targeting here might be someone 35 to 40 who's owned their home for more than six years 
and who loves yoga. Unlike the intended targets of the Magic Million, as Pulse might buy from you, this dream audience segment of your chunky middle should also be your best possible customers only. When you add up people who click from the Magic Million, those who like your page, your current email list, and your dream audience, it can be a lot of people. Chunky. This will typically be a decent-sized audience to begin with, but also enables it to continually get chunkier by dynamically adding new people to it each day. Pro tip, Facebook uses the term custom audience when you upload a CSV file of emails or phone numbers to target. Once you do this, you can save the audience, but you can also sync the audience in nearly real time so you don't have to upload again when your list grows. Let's say you start off by uploading 5,000 people to your custom audience, but that you are getting a few hundred new leads a month as well. You can sync your CRM to Facebook using a tool like Driftlock so that as your database of leads grows, so does the chunky middle and the sweet spot below. MailChimp and many other CRM email marketing tools are also starting to make real-time Facebook customer or custom audience syncing a frictionless process to set up. You can also use a Facebook ad custom audience feature to hide your ads from other people. Maybe you do not want your competitors to see your ads, or you do not want to show your ads to the segment of your email database that already bought from you. Just like you can add and sync a CSV file that you will see your ads, you can also add and sync a CSV file that will never see them. Number three, The sweet spot. This is your audience that has already become a lead in your database and is most likely to buy from you now. This audience should be seeing all your C3 ads, content, conversion, and closing. Because they are already in your database as a lead and have thus shown intent in your product or service, you want to and can appropriately show them ads to the bottom of the funnel featuring customer reviews, scheduling a time to speak with sales, calling now to learn more, getting a discount by acting now, or signing up for your next group sales webinar. Creating this audience is as simple as uploading every lead you have right now and then syncing it again using Driftlock or a comparable tool. So as soon as a new lead comes in, new closing ads are triggered for the sweet spot audience. For example, one of my closing ads that performed well when targeting my sweet spot was We're not stalking you. We just want to talk. It linked to a tool I called Scheduled Once, also known as meetme.so, which lets people book their preferred date and time for a one-on-one sales demo while syncing with most online calendar programs, ensuring it doesn't conflict with my existing schedule. An ad this focused on closing might be a huge waste of money if I targeted at the Magic Million or Chunky Middle. But because I am targeting only the leads in my database who have already shown intent in buying, it works. Most people think that once they get a lead, they don't have to market to them other than by email, text, or calling by following up. That's so wrong. Your sweet spot audience should be seeing ads that keep them engaged with you until they buy. Remember, emails typically get opened by considerably less than half the people who get them. Using this follow-up advertising technique, you can pay to get your closing campaigns in front of nearly 100% of your leads anytime you want. When you set up your Facebook funnel properly, 
the lead doesn't feel like they're in a funnel at all. The progressions through it are very natural and the types of content and calls to action they see get more aggressive only if and when they show more intent. That's excellent. To review, here's a quick look at the three C's of Facebook and the three audiences. Um, the three to review, here's a quick look at how the C cubed of Facebook ads and the three audiences you want to target are interrelated. Content marketing ads target the magic million chunky middle and sweet spot. Conversion marketing ads target the chunky middle and sweet spot. Closing marketing ads target the sweet spot. Pro tip. He's got a pro tip. There will be some times when a conversion ad makes sense to target the magic million or when a closing ad makes sense to target the chunky middle. Just know that while you can get more leads doing this, you'll also pay for more clicks from people who don't register for your list or want to talk with sales yet. But if you ever need to boost your lead flow, just target the magic million with conversion ads and target the chunky middle with closing ads. Another pro tip, day parting provides an additional level of customization you could use for maximal lead conversion. Through day parting, you can set your Facebook ads up to be displayed only at certain hours of the day and or on certain days of the week. I've used this and it's very effective, especially if you want your ads to run while you have a salesperson on the clock who can follow up instantly. Also knowing what time of day your ad will run allows you to get very clever with your copy and relevancy. Imagine an ad that runs on Friday and Saturday night only between the hours of 1 a.m. and 4 a.m. that starts with, do you have trouble sleeping on the weekends? Or an ad that offers an amazing deal but only on Tuesday afternoons? When you combine the three C's with the three audiences and then add day parting, you can really set yourself up for better lead generation and better lead conversion. Determining your Facebook ad budget. You can run Facebook ads for as little as a dollar a day, but that doesn't mean you should. If you are serious about making Facebook ads a constant channel for acquisition, you need to have a decent ongoing budget in place. I find the best way to determine your specific budget would be to ask yourself, what is a monthly budget that I can afford to lose that I can commit to for a year to see how this goes? It's a lot like a trip to Vegas. Even though you might hit it big, you have to be okay with losing every single dollar. If you're in need of the ROI immediately, you're going to end up quitting before the plan starts to click. Don't get me wrong. You can get clicks, leads, and sales today with Facebook ads. Just like you can burn calories and build muscle today by going to the gym, but you aren't going to actually get in shape without consistent commitment. The difference in lead volume between $1 and $2 a day budget and $10 to $20 a day budget is quite literally 10 times. Winners are willing to lose before they win. They're willing to invest, lose, and learn. Thankfully, by using this chapter as a guide, you won't lose nearly as often as you win. That's so true, right? Everything we do is filled with failure. People always ask me what a good cost per click or a good cost per lead from Facebook is. My answer, don't obsess with over either of those metrics. Just make sure they're not way too high to get an ROI once you know what your true cost per acquisition is. Cost of leads required to close one. If it's $10 a click or $100 a lead, you better be selling something awesome and expensive to make up for it. But having a low cost per click or cost per lead is not our end game either. 
cost per acquisition is. Honestly, anything between $0.10 cents and $10 a click can be deemed good. Cost per lead of $1 to $100 could be good. You need to calculate what is good for you. That's very true in real estate, right? So if you go back and, I don't know, if you track your uh, uh, your postcards or whatever, but consistently, um, as far as cost of acquisition of a house, it's somewhere between, depending on whatever, between $200 and $300 per closed lead, right? And considering my average uh, profit per closed lead is $4,500, you know, postcards make sense when I was doing postcards from that point of view, right? That makes sense. That's what they're talking about, right? So how many customers would you buy? Let's say it's even on the high end, right? $300 per customer if you knew you are going to make $4,500 off them. That's what he's talking about right here. Back to the book. If you set up a campaign for a month, you shouldn't check how it is doing every hour, but you do want to keep an eye on how it is performing compared to par. If you launch four ads that are going to run for 30 days, look at each after five days. If one ad got you 1,000 clicks for 38 cents each and one got you 200 clicks for 238 each, it would be foolish not to take the budget away from the low-performing one and throw the budget at the one that's already succeeding. By keeping an eye on their performance, you can double down on your ads that perform well and kill the ones that aren't working. You can also go to the top of your page, click insights, posts, and then sort by which ones are getting the most clicks. Sometimes paying to reboost these ads is a smart play. To judge the overall success of an ad campaign, I make sure I have at least 100 leads from it. Not 100 clicks, 100 leads. Sometimes I'll generate up to 200 leads before I judge a campaign. Why? Because I'm focused on conversions, not leads. Getting 100 plus leads from a from a campaign, I feel like I can better judge the quality compared to getting 10 bad leads and bailing. The Facebook relevance score can also help keep your ads on the right track to success. If you're getting good scores by Facebook standards, the next ads you run will benefit out of the gate. If you are historically good at running ads, Facebook will automatically assume your next ad will be good too. Achieving a high relevancy score, Facebook uses a simple 1 to 10 grading scale, comes back to the principles of great image, great copy, great call to action, and great targeting. Pro tip, please remember that the longer you try to run an ad, the less likely it's going to stay relevant. Things change, so keep an eye on what Facebook calls frequency, how many times the average person has seen your ad so far. If you can see that an ad has been seen by dozens of has been seen dozens of times by the same audience and is losing steam, change it. Alternatively, don't give up on your ads after they've only been seen a few times by each person. Often it could be the sixth, seventh, or tenth time someone sees your ad before they click. It's also like postcards. Don't just mail and be one and done. Keep sending them to them, right? Four Facebook ad types everyone should run. Once you nail the content for your ads and determine your custom audiences, you will need to determine what type of ad to run. Facebook has a ton of ad types to choose from, none of which I would call bad. But there are certainly some ad types that work better than others. Here are four Facebook ad types that many businesses can and should be running. Ad type one, the boosted post. This is by far the easiest ad to set up. Post something to your page and then boost it for a day. 
If it does really well, you can reboost it or even open it in the ads manager and fine tune it later. Boosted posts allow you to closely control your budget with short spurts of exposure. As opposed to a big, scary monthly, quarterly, or annual budget, you can make a dent with boosted posts in just one or two days without breaking the bank. Boosting a post is also the quickest path to quality engagement of your ad. Properly done boosted posts get a much higher relevant relevant score than other types, in my experience. Pro tip, try uploading a photo album of pictures to your page with a link in the post to a landing page and then boost that. When you upload an album, it actually creates a beautifully designed entry in the news feed when compared to everything else that is only one picture. Plus, it gives you more chances for a click that catches their attention than only the link in your lead magnet. With an album, people can actually swipe through all the pictures and then click the link when they are ready. This works great for our real estate clients. Include 10 plus photos of a pro- of a property by doing this one ad. By showcasing more photos and descriptions, it can keep tire kickers from clicking through, thus increasing the conversion rates of your landing page by sending a f- sending fewer but better qualified clicks. Ad type number two, click the website. This one is pretty straightforward. You should think of this as your Facebook ad fastball down the middle. The purpose of this ad is simply to target or to get as many clicks as possible all going to one place. Ad type number three, multi-product carousel ad. If you want to drive people to multiple parts of your site or multiple landing pages, you can use a multiple product or carousel ad. This is one ad that simultaneously pushes people to multiple places using using tiles that are swipeable. An example might be an ad that has multiple call to actions like buy my book, hire me to speak, check out my fast growing company, check out my Facebook group. In this one ad, I can now funnel people to Amazon, my landing page, my website, and my Facebook group. I have found that these multi-product ads with their beautiful interface and the newsfeed and interactive design elements can get the best cost per click and highest uh, CTR of anything that I've ever tried. Pro tip, try using multi-product ads in super creative ways by using a panoramic shot or design elements that work together even though they are on different tiles. I ran an ad where we connected the tiles visually using plus signs and then equal sign to the equal sign to the end of the ad and they got rave reviews and results. Ad type number 4, lead ads. Facebook has never shown a more obvious commitment to helping business owners get leads as they have with their new lead ads option. Lead ads do not require you to link to a landing page or website to collect someone's information. They don't even require the visitor to fill anything out as Facebook already, in most cases, has their email and phone number and file. Instead, when someone clicks on the lead ad, it instantly, and by instantly I mean much faster than a normal landing page would load, pulls up a simple form that is pre-filled with their information so they can promptly click submit. One of the primary reasons Facebook created this ad unit was for mobile waiting even a second or two for a page to load can feel a lot longer when we are on our phones another was that many small business owners have terrible websites and landing pages and we're simply wasting their money driving traffic to them if you are looking to get a huge list of emails and or phone numbers that you can add to your database 
Facebook lead ads are an excellent choice. Facebook Power Editor. Power Editor is Facebook's more advanced interface for creating and maintaining ads. Power Editor allows you to do more advanced agency-centric tasks like tagging your ads for an organization. If you want to mass edit an ad campaign, it's helpful. If you need a dashboard to see all the different campaigns you're running, it's helpful. You can even use Power Editor to mass upload ad campaigns via CSV file to save time. But for most people, ad managers and boosted posts provide more than enough options. Everything I have covered in this chapter so far, except lead ads, can be done without Power Editor. In fact, if something gets added to Power Editor that takes off and is genuinely useful to marketers like multi-product ads or day parting or lead ads, Facebook typically adds a feature to ads manager or even to the boosted post ad options quickly. Pro tip. If you want to learn more about Power Editor and all of its advanced capabilities, I highly recommend checking out John Loomer's blog. He became authority on Power Editor and regularly provides detailed blog posts about changes, helpful tips for Power Editor users, and great advice about Facebook ads in general. Once you have your Facebook funnel launched and then fine-tuned, you will have an endless supply of leads coming in each and every day. In fact, now that we have locked down the new internet, and I taught you how to be a Facebook marketing expert, you can now start getting greedy by looking at some of these other social network tools I use to get more traffic, leads, and sales. Chapter five, simple strategies beyond Facebook that drive massive traffic and leads to your website and landing pages. Facebook may be greater than everything else when it comes to traffic, leads, and sales, but everything else can also be an untapped reservoir of tremendous growth. The key is to use a scalpel, not an axe. The best strategy is to go deep on a couple repeatable tactics that work for you as opposed to going wide and throwing a ton of things against the wall to see if they stick. You can't crack the conversion code without a blueprint. And sure, the blueprint will evolve and change, but if you add more to your plate every time you read a new how-to blog post, watch a free webinar, or attend a technology conference, you're going to end up bloated. You can quickly become a jack of all internet marketing skills and a master of none. I have mentioned this before, but I think it is worth noting again before you dig into the nuggets ahead. If you skip this entire chapter, you could still crack the conversion code by executing all the others. For most businesses, it is impossible to be great everywhere. Sure, you may have accounts on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. Maybe you'll even link to them from your website and email signature. If you need a new email signature, check out Ystamp. You may even update them a few times a week, but we have those accounts. But what have those accounts given back to you in return for all the half-assed investment? Probably not much you could take to the bank and deposit with dignity. This digital race to the bottom in an attempt to be everywhere and do everything could be as deadly to a business as a virus. That is so true. The cure is critically thinking and laser focusing on the few things that matter most. And maybe even more importantly, it's choosing the tools you actually already like and use. For me, video has been huge for making sales and I enjoy it. One big advantage that I experience using videos as my primary lead magnets and in most of my marketing I do 
is that my leads can get to truly know me and my company better than they could through writing or through written text alone. Remember, words are only 7% of how humans communicate. When someone reads an article or blog post, they apply their expected tone and physiology to it as they read it, not yours, unless they happen to know you. On camera, all 100% of the ways we understand each other are in play. This is exactly why my curator co-founder, Jimmy Mackin, and I host a live web show, Water Cooler, and produce countless webinars Plus, put the audio-only version of everything we do on iTunes and Stitcher all for free. It's because there's a big difference between people hearing about you and hearing from you. Video allows for zero ambiguity in my message. Bottom line, you want to produce content that's best suited for you. For some people, that's writing a blog post. For others, it was recording a podcast for iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. For some, it will be photo blogging on Instagram and Pinterest. As it is nearly impossible to do everything listed below, unless you are a huge company with tons of money and resources, choose wisely. That's an excellent point. What are you good at? What appeals to you most? An easy way to do this, um, an easy way to do this would be to think about what you like the most and what is listed below, regardless of potential lead volume, advertising opportunities, or clever hacks that sound enticing. Do you organically find yourself using LinkedIn a lot? Are you on Instagram all day? Do you love podcasts? Do you watch YouTube more than you watch television? If the answer is yes, you will have a competitive advantage out out of the gate when you do start to advertise and do lead generation there. I have personally found the following tactics to have a solid return on the time and money I've spent investing in them. Email marketing. I'm going to go much deeper in the email marketing best practices for lead follow-up and long-term lead nurture campaigns in chapter six and seven. There really is no better way to get big traffic that consists of the people most likely to buy from you on demand and for nearly no cost, by the way, on your website than from a well-composed mass email. If you heard that email was dead, you need a new source. It may be the most it may be more difficult than ever to break through the noise of a crowded inbox, but even average email open rates are still between 21 and 23% and an average click-through rate rates are 2.7% to 3% per MailChimp. This means that if you have an email list of 10,000 people, you could get 23 of them to open something and 3 of them to click on a link to something anytime you want. Now, imagine if you apply that, apply what you learn later to section two and got dramatically higher open and click through rates like I do. And what if you had a 100 plus thousand email list? The math gets very exciting. Email marketing is a critical component of the conversion code. Most companies are doing this are doing it very poorly, if at all. Not only can a cleverly crafted mass email send massive traffic when and where you want it but also the data you gather about who opened and clicked your messages will help you identify those most likely to buy from you. I find that an alarming number of people, even those who do send mass emails, don't truly understand just how impactful they can be. Did you know that you can actually see your email marketing traffic in Google Analytics? If you use Google's easy-to-use URL builder to track your links before you send your next campaign, you can better understand the impact your emails are having. Imagine having the additional insights around how long the people who clicked in the email stayed on your site. 
how many additional pages they looked at while they were there, and so forth. I find time and time again that the website traffic generated from my email list creates some of the best or some of the highest time on site page views per visitor of any of my sources. I can't recommend enough reading through chapter six or seven uh, before you send your next mass email or drip email. All right, I'm getting there, man. Well, I don't think we're going to get there today. Retargeting. One of the reasons I like recommending or I like recommended in one of the reasons that I recommended installing tracking or retargeting remarketing pixels in chapter one is because they can provide one of the best sources of traffic and leads. Plus they are great for being everywhere online while a prospect is looking for products and services you may offer. Basically retargeting is the act of presenting additional ads to someone who visited your website or landing page with the proper tracking pixels installed you can follow up with these prospective leads without ever capturing their email address or phone number with the ideas you learned in the last chapter about Facebook marketing and ads combined with ideas you will learn in this chapter. Retargeting is the glue that holds it all together. Think of it this way. No matter what you do, most of, the, most of your traffic will not opt in. But the fact that even visit your site in the first place is a great indicator that they're serious about needing what you sell. Using ad roll or the Facebook tracking pixel, once someone visits one of your pages, you will see more and different ads following them around. You have probably experienced this for yourself in your if you have visited Amazon or Zappos, only start seeing their ads in your newsfeed immediately. A little creepy? Sure. Effective? Yes. It is. I see castle everywhere. <laughs> Setting up a retargeted uh, campaign is actually pretty easy, and you won't have to update it often. We try and refresh ours quarterly. You are basically just building ads before you need them, knowing they will trigger over and over each day as people visit your website. Like with anything else you do online, images, everything, make sure your ads really pop and stand out. The way you design an ad for a mobile banner is very different than the way you build a Facebook ad. Retargeter provides seven best practices for running retargeting campaigns. Number one, don't overbear or underbear. Just because someone visits your website does not mean that you should overwhelm them with ads. You also don't want to show them too few ads. Retargeter found that setting a frequency cap of 15 to 20 impressions to each of your users every month is the most elegant way to keep your brand top of mind. Make sure your ads are well branded. The reality is that most banner ads don't get clicked on. So retargeting needs to do more for you than get clicks and leads. It needs to build your brand and get your customers telling you that we saw you everywhere online. You want your ads to look great and have a strong call to action, but you can also brand them. Number three. Understand your view through window. Not all leads will click on your ad. Some will actually see your ad and then type your URL into a new tab or window. So when that happens, it should also be considered a conversion. Most retargeting software will give you this data. Number four, have an incredible network. Retargeting does not work very well if your audience size is tiny. Remember, these ads are conditioned upon people visiting your website and landing pages to trigger. If necessary, you can supplement your retargeting efforts by using the Google display network. So you can reach a, reach all of your possible customers as they search the web, not just the ones you tagged who visited your site. 
Number five, optimize your conversion tunnel. Your ads won't matter if where you send the clicks doesn't convert. Make sure you use all the landing page design tips I covered in chapter one when you deploy a retargeting ad. Number six, target an actionable audience. When you choose who to retarget, you do not have to choose 100% of your visitors. You can actually retarget based upon the specific page they visited. Imagine retargeting only the people who had visited your views, your reviews page and retargeting them with more reviews. Or what about showing the people who got all the way to your, your contact page and then bailed and then bailed some additional contact us call to actions by getting micro with your retargeting. You can have a macro impact on your conversions. Number seven, segment your active audience. Not only can you retarget by audience, but you can burn an audience when you re, when you retarget. This can be useful if someone actually buys and you don't want them to see more ads by placing a burn pixel in your thank you or confirmation order page, the ads will turn off automatically. You can also launch additional campaigns for this burned audience in the future. This can create solid upsell and retention opportunities when used properly. It's all pretty technical. All pretty technical today. All right, curation. I am the co-founder of Curator, so I'm guessing you may have seen this one coming. You may not always have the time or skill to create compelling original content or blog posts, but you are probably already sharing content that you found interesting or useful on other websites and blogs. Curation can help keep your audience engaged by finding and sharing great content from elsewhere. You can also help supplement the original content you create. But did you know that you can also use curated content to drive traffic and leads to your website? Snipply makes it very easy to attach a call to action to every link you share. Even though you are sharing content from someone else's site, you can drive traffic back to yours using cleverly designed buttons and banners. Snipply is like a hello bar or Kissometrics engage tool, but instead of it being on your website, you can add it to any site. Not only can you drive traffic like this, but you can also you can but also you can strategically place your brand on the most respected websites in the world for free the next time you share that insightful article from the wall street journal or the new york times anyone who clicks it will also see your ad you can even add the snipply plugin into chrome so you can do all this with just one click another great platform for curating and benefiting from other people's content is genius.com originally a website where you could add annotations to rap songs the original name of the site was actually rap genius the site has evolved and recently become much more useful to marketers by allowing you to add line-by-line annotations to any page on the internet. Imagine reading a well-written summary of your industry's current trends and being able to highlight and add your two cents before you share it. By doing so, the additional insights you added will be highlighted and clickable in the text. Conveniently, you can also add links back to your website, social media, profiles, or blog posts inside of the annotations you add. YouTube, if you're making videos for your business but have not thought about them as a lead conversion tool, think again. A great video can increase conversion rates on a landing page. Better convey your message in a Facebook ad or press release. I use PR web and even drive up your email open rates. YouTube can 
also be a major source of traffic to your website, landing pages, and lead magnets, thanks to their massive scale and current standing as the world's number two search engine. Here is a quick hack you can do today to start making YouTube a referral source of traffic and leads to your business. Go into your YouTube and analytics and sort your videos by most viewed. Be sure to note the average length of a view on these particular videos. Next, you're going to add what YouTube calls a card to the videos at a time interval that is 25% of the average view length. So if I knew the average view of a video was four minutes, I would add the the card at approximately the one minute mark. The idea here is that if you show them the YouTube card, which is really just a nice way to say a pop-up ad with a link to anywhere you want too soon, they won't click it. And if you wait too long, they may never see it. There is no exact science here. Just be sure that at a minimum, you are showing the card within the average length of the video's view. Use the cards to link to your lead magnets that are most related to the video's content. So if you had a YouTube video about Facebook ads as an example, I could use a card that linked to a landing page where they can also download 27 proven Facebook ad templates you can use today. What I'm teaching you can be done for all your YouTube videos, but it really does, uh, but it really has the most impact when you use it on your most watched or ones you expect will be. Think of the card as a native backup pop-up. You may already have a pop-up from Sumo Me or Kissometrics on your website. Now you have a pop-up on your videos as well. Remember, in order to crack the conversion code, you have to be purposeful, not passive. You can also use a more professional marketing video tool like Wista, which allows for email capture built right into the video and can redirect to any URL you want when a video ends. Wistia, W-I-S-T-I-A, also allows for greater customization options when you, when you embed the video player and provides more detailed analytics than YouTube. We use Wista for our sales videos so we can track what percentage of the video each individual lead watched. Thanks to Zapier.com, Z-A-P-I-E-R.com, which connects services that are normally not integrated. I can even have Wista data synced into Leads Profile to my CRM. YouTube ads are another largely untapped channel for generating significant traffic and leads. You can create YouTube ads and target them based on location, gender, age, video topic, and or keywords. Just like with their cards, YouTube ads can link to a landing page with a lead magnet and capture form. You can link to other videos you have made in the ad, but I usually link to a landing page. There are TrueView, in-stream, and in-display ad options you choose from. With TrueView, YouTube can guarantee that your YouTube can guarantee that your ad will be seen before the video in person was going to watch begins. In-stream and in-display will Place your ad among the suggested other videos while people search for and watch other YouTube videos. With many of the ideas in this chapter, there isn't quite enough scale to make a huge dent, but YouTube has a tremendous scale, so you can actually drive a substantial number of clicks and leads if you get YouTube ads right. When running a YouTube ad, I hope it would be obvious that it's important to use a great video. If your video sucks, it doesn't matter how great your landing page is because no one will ever see it. Most of the TrueView ads won't be shown for more than 15 to 30 seconds. So keep them short, sweet, and upbeat. 
There's a phenomenon in Silicon Valley around startups making explainer videos. These are usually under 90 seconds and feature a combination of animation, screenshots, and voiceover. GoAnimate actually makes creating one yourself almost as easy as using a PowerPoint. The metric you want to focus on here is retention rate of the video. If you have a budget and you're going to heavily invest in YouTube as an ad platform, you can hire a plethora of companies that make these explainer videos for you. Just Google explainer video companies and be sure to watch a few of their demos before reaching out. I have found that each company has their own style, but that you can gather from their website examples before reaching out for a quote. Pricing on these can be $500 to $10,000 or more, depending on the scope and quality of work. My last piece of advice about YouTube is simple. Use their analytics to figure out which of your videos work and which ones don't. Our YouTube channel has more than 5.5 million minutes watched. At one point, we went nearly 20 straight weeks producing a live one-hour show, but it was grueling and we couldn't sustain the pace. Thankfully, we took the time to really dig into our data. 10% of our shows were actually responsible for almost 90% of our video views. It was quite clear after checking our YouTube analytics that certain topics like Facebook marketing or mobile apps and having notable guests on like Gary Vaynerchuk or Gary Keller led to exponentially more views and leads. Knowing that, it was certainly much easier to slow down on the frequency of shows while still maintaining our best show quality, our, our best quality shows, traffic, and leads. Pro tip, I highly recommend downloading the YouTube Creator Studio mobile app. This is different than the regular YouTube app for watching videos. They actually built a separate app for people who create a lot of videos and want to look at analytics and engagement numbers or apply to comments on the go. I actually find the Creator Studio app interface to be much easier to navigate and understand than the full desktop YouTube analytics. Twitter. On the free front, I find Twitter to be an invaluable tool for learning and keeping up with my craft. However, I find the only way to truly make Twitter an enjoyable experience for me is to use Twitter lists. In theory, everyone you follow on Twitter would be awesome, but you will quickly find that more Twitter users are annoying than interesting. As opposed to hurting anyone's feelings by unfollowing them, I simply never look at my standard Twitter timeline. Shh, don't tell the folks I'm following. In order for me to see a tweet, I have to also add the account manually to a private Twitter list I built in, uh, entitled Gurus. And believe me, I bet most of the people on that list do the exact same thing. This is the best practice employed by many of the power Twitter users. I have spent countless hours adding the smartest people and companies in marketing, sales, technology to my Twitter list. This saves me hours each week because now all the best content is being filtered and brought to me. I no longer have to seek. I find. That's, I need to do that. I also add accounts to my list that I want to watch but not follow. Let's say you want to keep an eye on what a competitor is sharing without giving them the satisfaction that you followed them. Simple. Add them to your list. Don't follow them. It's actually easy to make your Twitter list private so only you can see who's on them. For some context, here's the ratio of people I'm following versus who made my list. As I write this, I am following 3,720 accounts. My list has only 555 on it. Another thing I keep an eye on is how often I am being listed by others on Twitter. Sure, it feels pretty cool to have 30,000 plus followers, especially from a guy who was born in a city with only 47,000 people total. 
but I am tracking the number of times I've been listed more closely, even though it is a much lower number at 1300 plus check yours right now. How many times have you been listed? One way to get listed and thus looked at more often is to keep an eye on your Twitter analytics. I don't spend a ton of time in them, but about once a month, I will go into Hootsuite or Twitter to see what my top tweets are for reach, clicks, retweets, and replies and likes. I also hop into Google Analytics to see if the depth and length of the stays on my referring traffic from Twitter. Within minutes of looking at your top tweets each month, you will you will clearly identify what is working and what isn't. If you notice that tweets with hashtags, pictures, links, or YouTube videos happens to perform the best, do these more. If you see that no one ever engages with your tweets about beating a new level on Candy Crush, stop. Pro tip. You can really geek out about your your Twitter metrics and see who is the most engaged and the most influential from your connections. Commune.it Sprout Social and Cloud all offer what I would call more actionable insights than Twitter's native analytics tool does. Also, I use TweetBot on my iPhone and Hootsuite on my desktop. Not the Twitter app or Twitter.com. I find that third-party Twitter apps are often superior to the native app. Twitter apps like Facebook and YouTube's uh, Facebooks and YouTube benefit from the scale of Twitter's user base and depth of their data-rich targeting options. You can target Twitter ads by location, hashtags, and accounts that follow you. But did you know that you can target them at those who follow other accounts in your field or accounts that might be followed by your ideal demographic? As an example, a local real estate agent in Las Vegas could target accounts hyper-locally but also cross-target that with criteria like they also follow HGTV, Zillow, or Louis Vuitton. Is your product the next great basketball shoe? Target Twitter ads at users who already follow at Jumpman23, at Foot Locker, and at Nike. When creating your ad, you can choose between getting more followers and getting more engagements, clicks, retweets, replies, etc. on your tweet. Right now, the cost to get a quality click is affordable. This is mostly because it is still too difficult to convert a Twitter click using a landing page due to most of their users being on phones. Twitter is working on creative solutions to this problem, like Twitter lead-generated cards, which are sim- similar to the Facebook lead ad type I discussed in the last chapter. They better as their stock currently depends on their ability to drive leads to brands. But for now, I recommend using a light landing page. Like I discussed in Chapter 1, by light, I mean you ask for email or phone only. At this point, it remains rather difficult to get a lengthy form filled out after a click in Twitter. Here's a nice thing about retargeting and having our Facebook tracking or ad roll pixel installed on our website and all landing pages. The click is enough. I can drive thousands of clicks from Twitter to an article and couldn't care less about how many I capture while they're there because I know that just based on their visit, a Facebook ad feed and face and web retargeting campaign will be triggered. Damn, that's powerful. I'm especially bullish on Facebook newsfeed retargeted ads. You can set up a retargeted campaign for someone who visits your blog so the next time they log into Facebook, they could see an ad in the newsfeed that says, thanks for checking out my blog. Here's a free download of X that you will probably enjoy too. So you have cultivated a lead on Twitter and send them to your site and their next site visit triggers an ad in Facebook newsfeed across the web as they browse that link 
to a landing page. Boom. No matter which of the ideas in this chapter you end up using to get more traffic, remember that having a proven retargeting campaign behind it allows you to stress less about the immediate capture for times like this when it is tougher. That's a good point. So he uses retargeting ads just like a catch-all too. Instagram. What, what time we're at? Let's see what time we're at. I don't want to go too long. One forty-three. We got time. How many more pages we got to go? Yeah, we got time. Instagram. Getting more followers on Instagram takes a few, a few proven tactics. One obvious way is to take and share amazing pictures. Another one is to use popular and relevant hashtags. Tagsforlikes.com actually makes finding, copying, and pasting the most popular Instagram hashtags by keyword topic um, simple. There we go. Another way to get more followers on Instagram is to like several pictures in a row on the same account and then follow that account. This makes it impossible for them to miss your chunk of engagement when they check their notification stream all their other one-off alerts. I've also found images with quotes over them do exceptionally well on Instagram and can help increase your follower count and engagement level. Try using a simple free tool like Pablo from Buffer or a mobile app like Over or Retype to build professional-looking versions of these in seconds. This is something I've been struggling with. What I am most excited about with Instagram, however, is their ad platform. Most of my excitement comes from the fact that they are owned by Facebook, who has demonstrated that they believe quality ads and ROI are important. Combine that with the undeniable scale that Instagram has reached at this point, the value of the ads on the platform seems like a no-brainer. One of the earlier knocks by marketers about Instagram was that you cannot have a link in your posts or pics or only in your bio. Ads fix that. When Instagram with Instagram ads, you can link to a landing page or to your website. Instagram ads are so integrated with Facebook that I even had to use Facebook's power editor to set up my first one. If you combine Instagram's addicted daily users to Facebook's amazing data, you have a match made in conversion code heaven. While it's too early to give you while it is too early to give you a well vetted list of ads that work on Instagram. The best practices of the platform typically dictate that its best ad practices will be anyway. In my early tests of Instagram ads, the cost per click, volume of clicks, conversion rate, time on site, page views per visitor were all rock solid. How did I do so well? Having never run an Instagram ad before, if we know that awesome pictures, filters, and hashtags and text or images already work well enough through personal profiles and non-paid business posts on Instagram, They should carry over to ad best practices too. I simply ran Instagram ads that were in line with the already established ecosystem. They so work. And that's the point that Gary Vaynerchuk makes all the time. Make sure you're marketing your ads and your content is um, in line with the environment you're in. Guest blogging, a fairly new phenomenon has occurred in the past few years that is worth noting and taking advantage of. When I first started blogging, it was 100% up to me to get eyeballs on my content. This isn't the primary reason that so many blogs became ghost towns. This is the primary reason that so many blogs became ghost towns. It isn't exactly fun to spend hours researching and writing a great post, only to find that the only person who read it and shared it was your mom. Thanks, mom. 
Today, you can hop over to Medium or LinkedIn and publish a post that can be seen by their readers, not yours. The first time I published on Medium, Medium, I got over 17,000 views, 99% of which came from the community, not mine. Of course, inside of the post, I had several links back to my stuff, which got me some solid referring traffic. Here's the catch. I studied the Medium ecosystem and thought critically about what I should publish there. I knew my typical how-to articles would not go viral, so I wrote a very heartfelt piece about my wife and kids being away for the summer and how much harder it was, uh, how much harder that was than not having my phone for a day or two. The Medium community loved it and recommended it, and Medium featured it on their homepage and a few other key places of the platform. You should also identify any blogs or websites that are influential in your industry and send them some original content to publish. Inman has been around for 20 plus years in the real estate industry and reaches a C-level audience that I do normally not. So a few times a year, I will send some killer content to Inman that I know their readers will love and share. I find that when you send in a piece to just about any outlet or blogger and add my last article got 17,000 plus views and hundreds of social shares, I can also email it out to my 15,000 plus email list. They don't ask too many questions. When you do a guest post, make sure that you have a strong author byline attached with links back to your best stuff. Also be sure to include a couple links in the article to other things you have written that are relevant to what they are reading but are housed back on your site. It's a very natural flow for someone who reads an awesome post by a new author to see who wrote it and dig deeper, maybe by checking them out on Twitter or visiting their site. Make sure you make this a requirement in exchange for giving them your free killer content. That should be going out saying, right? You don't just get to take my shit and then I can't get anything from it. Podcasting. Hey, wait a second. What are we talking about here? <laughs> I'm addicted to podcasts. So am I, Chris. So am I. Podcasts perfectly bridge the gap between text and video, creating a third channel, which includes new untapped times to connect with prospects. People love our web show, but we can't expect them to watch it while driving, jogging, or showering. Having quality audio content with well-placed lead magnets and offers for those lengthy downtimes is quickly becoming a must. Podcasts don't bring back uh, physiology. Oh my God. Podcasts don't bring back physiology like videos do, but not everyone is good on video and they do at least get you back tone. In many ways, podcasts are the new blogs. Looking at the influencer marketing landscapes, many, if not most, of the bloggers who gained a large following by writing have either moved on to podcasting or have added one or more podcasts to their arsenal. If you're going to take podcasting seriously, Pro Tools are a must. If your podcasts sound poor, like mine did in the beginning, its results will follow. Once our web show took off, we knew we needed to reinvest. Even though our show originally airs live on YouTube, it is largely a conversation that drives the show's content. That is to say, we don't use slides or screen shares. We just use Google Hangouts to have a a great guest on and shoot the shit over beer about why they're so successful. Knowing that podcasts could help us reach a new audience at new times, and because the show was a moneymaker already in the video format, we went out and bought Heil Mics and Mackie Mixers, which is what I use. I actually use all that stuff. So they are extracted the MP3 file sounds just as good if we recorded an audio-only podcast to begin with. 
for some perspective um, on the results of publishing our content across multiple platforms. Now we get 10,000 views on a YouTube video. We get an additional 3,000 plus downloads on iTunes and Stitcher. I use Libsyn and uh, Amazon Web Ser- Services for hosting and analytics. Even if you are not ready to become a pro podcaster just yet, but you want to dip your toe in the water, try SoundCloud on your mobile phone. You can embed the results on your website and share it more, share it natively from SoundCloud, which has built-in community who can discover it, much like YouTube does for videos or Medium does for written content. Pro tip, add bumpers to the beginning and the end of your podcast with clear calls to action like text this code to get this number, get this freebie, go to our website.com slash podcast to download the show notes and a list of all the resources mentioned on there. You don't just want to get thousands of listeners. You also want to get hundreds of leads. Even if you do not start a podcast, consider consider advertising on one. I can literally name every sponsor of all my favorite podcasts and have taken action on many of their various offers along the way. My company even hired a lawyer through hearing about his services in a podcast. My co-founder bought an engagement ring from a company here advertising locally on Pandora's, Pandora's ad network. There's just something about repetition combined with auditory ads that really make them stick. Sell things in Boston. I'm sure there's a huge podcast right now with a rabid Boston fan base. And I'm also sure they need some sponsors. If YouTube ads are the new lower cost results based television ads, then podcasts and Pandora are the new lower cost results based ratio equivalent webinars. I'm sure you have attended a webinar in the last few years, but have you actually used webinars as a lead generation and conversion tool for yourself yet? If not, you are really missing out. Webinars open up two entirely new types of sales pitches for you, the group pitch and the 90% pitch free pitch. Use them both to go beyond the one-on-one sales call option. This opens up a huge new lead type. There are a large percentage of people who just do not want to put themselves in a position to be one-on-one with a salesperson, period. There are also a large percentage of folks who just won't hear out a sales pitch of any type. By having a group demo option, you could attract people who normally avoid the one-on-ones. And by having the pitch-free pitch, meaning you spend the first 90% of the webinar teaching and not selling, then quickly pitching and closing with a solid one-time offer during the last 10%. You can attract exponentially more people when you mark when you market education versus marketing a sales pitch. In fact, let's say you get five times more attendance when marketing a webinar when you bring value than you do with one where you pitch. At my company, you, we can get 5,000 plus signed up for a takeaway focused webinar we produce. In comparison, getting 500 attendees on a group sales demo would be solid. But the fact that you don't pitch the entire time does not mean you can close at five times lesser rate than your one-on-one pitches. In fact, because you get so many more people tuned in when the content is great, the net results can actually be better. Anytime you do a big webinar, it can also be a huge day for traffic to your site and landing pages. I have found that having a few links ready to drop into the chat as I present and then mention them as I go, I can drive a tremendous amount of traffic and fresh opt-ins. A well-presented webinar with a well-positioned one-time offer can net you a higher closing rate than you might imagine. Even though we sell at Curator costs more than $1,000 per month, I consistently close 10% or more 
of all of our group webinar attendees. I make the offer and show a number to call. I use bettervoice.com to track the number of calls and route the leads to any missed calls to our CRM. They call in to get a one-time offer. My sales team uses a script in section three of this book to close them at the highest rate possible. Plus the added bonus is that you grow your email list much more quickly when a slash B tested against sales pitch only marketing. Don't think about your sales option as the only one-on-one calls and one-on-one demos are primarily focused on your product or service. And don't forget that the people attending these webinars are often people you would have never closed before because without webinars, you weren't even given them an option they could bite on. Once the webinar ends, put the recording on YouTube and then embed it in a new post on your blog. Don't forget that webinar recordings also make great email marketing. Facebook ad and landing page content. Pro tip. If you do start producing webinars, you want to get a minimum of 50% who register to also attend. Some call this show rate. Make sure you send out supplemental reminder emails. Don't just rely on the webinar tool you use to follow up. Also, not everyone will call in or email in. I have found a small hack It gets me even more. I'm ready to buy chances from my webinars. When you make your offer at the end, tell anyone who wants to buy to put their cell phone number in the chat box and you will call them ASAP. It's a beautiful thing to see those numbers come flying into the GoTo webinar chat box. The second you close out the webinar, run an attendee report and start dialing. All those numbers they put in the chat box will be in a CSV file. Growth hacking. I actually hate that term, but growth hacking is a tactic that can pay off in a big way when done properly. Growth hacking can actually mean a million different things. Here's how I think about it and use it to get more leads and make more sales. Who do you know who has a huge email list or social media presence that does not overlap with yours all that much, but consists of people who might buy from you? If you provide enough value and have strong relationships in place, using someone else's audience to grow yours can have a big impact. I placed using in quotes because I do not mean that you literally get their email list or that they get yours. You just work on creative campaigns together that can be promoted to both. I used to work for a company called Move Incorporated. Through a deal they have with the National Association of Realtors to operate Realtor.com using their brand, They get access to virtually every email address of every real estate agent in the United States, well over 1 million, and they are allowed to market to that list as long as they follow agreed-upon guidelines. My audience is tech-savvy, top-producing, early adopters. Their audience is every agent with a pulse. So when we team up to do a webinar together, they get me thousands of leads that I could not have gotten otherwise, and I get their brand in front of my modest but sought-after audience. We've successfully collaborated several times, frequently getting more than 5,000 people to register. 4,000 of those came from their list, not mine. Influencer marketing. When I first started using Twitter, I was definitely doing it wrong. All I did was connect some app that would push my Facebook page updates over to Twitter as tweets. Then I set up a few spammy tweets that repeated each day or repeated each week and never really logged back in. It came as no surprise the first time I checked my analytics to see how my tweets were doing. They almost all had links back to my site in them. They weren't even making a dent. So 
I took a step back and looked at Twitter as a place to meet, follow, and connect with the brightest minds in my industry. Turns out I wasn't alone. Some of them didn't know how to use Twitter the right way either. So I learned along the way. And what I picked up on was that while you could certainly share your links, it was proper etiquette to share others more frequently. So I started tweeting and mentioning people I looked up to and started retweeting their best tweets as well. Within no time, they started to return a favor. Within 30 days of changing my strategy, my traffic from Twitter more than tripled. Even though I had tweeted a fraction of the amount of times I had before, because now the traffic was coming from them, not me, the same ideology applies to any influencer outreach that you may do. As Gary Vaynerchuk would frame it, if you have a jab, jab, jab before you write hook, you have to jab, jab, jab before you write hook. I once had Robert Scoble and Mary Smith share their same link to my blog with an interview I did with a friend who had a Facebook page with 47,000 plus fans. That is what they were called at the time. Um, Taken away without warning. Within moments, there were 6,000 plus people on my site at the same time. Remember, I just recently passed 3,000 page views the day before. Now, I had 6,000 uniques all at once. When it comes to trying to get influencers to help you spread your content, it would probably be more like jab, 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 right cross. I, I was at least on Mary's radar. Mary was on Robert's radar. How? Write about them. Write about what they write about. Share their stuff. Send them emails. But be realistic, too. You can kiss an influencer's ass from all the right angles, but if you do not have A-plus content for them to share, you are dreaming if they think they will share something average. They become influential by being excellent, not average. Be the same. As I mentioned, to open this chapter, everything else besides Facebook can be an untapped reservoir of tremendous growth. It is also entirely possible to experience tremendous growth without anything but Facebook as your main focus. If you do decide to move beyond Facebook, I hope executing on these specific areas I provided helps you as much as they have helped me. As the choices of where one can market online continue to increase, make sure you are social networking with a plan and purpose instead of social not working. And off script, not in the book, to everybody who says, I don't get on social media. You know, don't get on and fuck around, man. Don't get on Facebook, are you? You know, add value to people, help people out. In section one, you've learned how to crack the conversion code. Sorry, back to the book. In section one, you've learned how to crack the conversion code on capturing more leads, but the fortune's in the follow-up. Now it's time to start creating quality appointments and close sales from all these internet leads. Section two will give you the blueprint for turning new and old leads into appointments. Then in section three, I will teach you exactly what to say on the phone to an internet lead so that they will say, Yes, and that's where we're going to end this week, folks, on page 81. I have decided not to read any more review of this book. This book is very technical, and um, I think I'm going to not do that. I may change my mind by the end. I've certainly highlighted particular sections. I think I might have to read it one more time on my own. I'm, I'm obviously having a hard time reading it, too. I'm trying not to be so difficult, but... uh I have a hard time with his style of writing and the technical content. So it's making it a little bit more difficult. So I think I'm going to skip that for the time being and we'll just move on. All right, folks, 
if you enjoy this podcast, it's a free podcast, man, help a brother out. Go rate and review on iTunes right now. You don't want to be one of those people that takes without giving, right? I know you're not. I know it takes time, and I do appreciate it. And uh, no matter what people say, I really do. I mean, come on, man. Hook a brother up. Go on iTunes, rate and review. Uh, if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, go to renegadedetroit.com. If you're interested in attending any of the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash renegade Detroit investors or facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. You can hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at Jeremy Burgess. And of course, on YouTube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit wholesalers. And as I wrap up this podcast, I do want to take a moment to encourage you to take the steps you need to become financially independent. I know you don't want to be a statistic, right? Rely on the government for help. How useful has the government been to you? (laughs) I would say not particularly useful. I know, I know they're distractions, mistakes, poisonous people, bad habits, bad starts in life, bad parents, bad everything, right? It doesn't matter. Pick a goal, stick with it, don't give up, do something every day that gets you closer to your goals, even if it's one step. And I do want to thank you for listening. I, It's amazing. We're up to 1,500 weekly listeners. I'm way behind on my goals, but at the same time, the idea that 1,500 people listen to this podcast is pretty amazing. I have you to thank for sharing that and rating and reviewing on iTunes. I really appreciate your attention. And until the next week and the next podcast, crush it.